Welcome to another episode of Lunch Break with the Village. We are thrilled that you are able to join us uh, today, and we would love to know who is joining us, so please feel free uh, to enter your location, the organization you're working with, etc., just so we are aware of who's joining us for today's program. Uh, my name is Yvette Young, and I am the Associate Vice President of Programs and Advocacy at the Village for Families and Children. And we have a very important topic to discuss uh, today. Joining me is Yannick Grant from our Adult Services Department here at the Village. She will be having a very open and transparent conversation with us today about racial trauma. In light of the recent issues that our nation has been dealing with, this topic is extremely timely. The reality is that racism has caused uh, traumatic experiences, especially in communities of color, and it's important for us to understand the mental health issues uh, that are associated with racism. So we are thrilled to have Unique with us um, today. Uh, just so I can uh, let you guys all know, uh, once we start uh, the interview, you will have the opportunity to ask questions. All you would have to do is enter your questions into the chat box. And at some point, we will start to uh, take questions from the audience. Um, so just wanted you guys to know that one logistical piece. So at this time, Unique, welcome. Thank you so much for being a guest with us today. Um, and why don't we get started? Absolutely. So, uh, I know that you know you have a ton of expertise um, and experience working with racial trauma, uh, racial trauma, which is why we uh, asked you to join us today. Could you just start by describing or defining what racial trauma is for our audience? Yes, definitely. So when I thought of the definition of racial trauma, there were so many that came out. So what I figured it would make more sense to do is to kind of give the definition of trauma right, which is usually a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, and then link that to the aspect of racism as we know it. So racial trauma is basically race-based stress, and it refers to the events of danger related to real or perceived. So that's extremely important to note, right? Whether the danger is right there in front of the person or it's a perceived danger, it does not make a difference, right? It's the reaction to that, to the danger that is there, um, and it's real or perceived experience of racial discrimination. So this can include threats of harm, injury, humiliation, um, shaming events, witness and harm to people who look um, like you, right? So that's what we've been going through a lot of recently. Um, it can result from major experiences of racism in workplaces as well. So workplace discrimination is a big one. Um, hate crimes and it can also be the result of, an, of a, an accumulation of smaller things. So often we talk about microaggressions, um, and this is something that's not only in the workplace, but it's experienced everywhere. And when we talk about the accumulation of microaggressions, it becomes just as devastating and just as damaging as actually having a hate crime happen directly to you. So in short, it's kind of saying that racial trauma is such a broad term because trauma can be defined in so many different ways, but it is definitely trauma as it relates to race and race. Okay. So um, I think you just described a few of the symptoms. Are there additional symptoms that someone should be 
taken into consideration if they're questioning whether or not they are experiencing racial trauma? What should they be mindful of um, when they're sort of questioning that for themselves? Okay, so with this, um, a lot of my colleagues and I uh, discuss this often because it can be very similar to post-traumatic stress disorder, but then in the addition of, right? And I'll get to that addition part after. So the ones that are similar to PTSD would be intrusive symptoms such as recurring memories or visual content like dreams, flashbacks, um, intense distress related to racism. So the psychological and the physiological stuff, which we will also discuss a bit further, right? So panic attacks. Um, avoidance is a very big one. So we see this one a bit more often than not these days because avoidance is the one that tends to lead to substance use, right? This idea mm -hmm. just numb yourself to not think about what you're going through. It can happen in the exact opposite, and I always use myself as an example of this, where avoidance can also come into play as overachieving, right? I throw myself into work because I want to keep busy. That is still avoidance. Um, desensitization, so we will often see um, people or clients uh, kind of say, okay, well, that's not a big deal. You know, if you talk about a shooting in Hartford, oh, but it's Hartford, that's not a big deal, right? When mm -hmm. it's like, no, you, you witnessing a shooting is a huge deal. Like, that's traumatizing. There's no need to sweep it under the rug. Um, so involuntary thought blocking, which I describe that kind of as uh, selective amnesia in the moment and not remembering specific parts of the trauma. Um, negative emotional state, um, exaggerated beliefs of the world. So thinking that, you know, everyone's all bad, lumping people together. Um, perfect example of this, um, of the exaggerated belief would be every single police officer is bad, right? I had an experience, so now my belief is every single police officer is bad. When we know, for lack of better words, that that's not the exact truth, right? So that's what we mean by an over-exaggerated belief of self or the world. Um, for the negative emotional state though, what we're talking about is this feeling of being fearful and anxious all the time as it relates to the trauma, right? Um, it affects your mood. You can be highly irritable. You become angry. You become hypervigilant. Um, you tend to do a lot of self-destructive behavior when it comes to this and <laughs> you struggle with sleep. That's the biggest thing, right? So a lot of these things, um, I should also point out, I'm sorry, avoidance can come in, in terms of external stimuli. So now I'm avoiding movies that remind me of certain things. I'm avoiding people that look like certain people that have traumatized me. So there are so many layers to symptoms that these are just the ones that characterize PTSD. Um, I think that the ones that I kind of wanted to jump into a lot with this is the idea that on top of the PTSD related symptoms, we have all these other ones that are now additional stressors, right? And for this one, I purposely got a research paper that I did because I thought it would help with putting it into context. So a psychologist by the name of Carol, she went into different categories of racism related stress, right? And this is what categorizes our symptoms. So the first is racism-related life events. So these are life events that are time-limited. Um, an example of this would be police discrimination or being discriminated if you're in a loan or home buying process and so forth. 
What this means is that these situations are unlikely to occur very frequently unless you live in a specific type of environment, but they still occur, right? So that's number one. And I'm going to go through six of these pretty quickly. The second is vicarious racism experiences. Uh, these are the experiences that we experience through other people, such as us watching things on the media when we're seeing all of these visuals of uh, George Floyd and all these other people being shot. That's traumatizing. So these are the experience of prejudice and discrimination that happens to our family members, our friends, our communities. Um, these situations uh, tend to create anxiety and anger, and it gives us a heightened sense of vulnerability. So it leads to a lot of psychological damage. Okay. The third one uh, would be the daily racism of microstressors, right? And the microaggressions. So these experiences are typical. Sometimes they go unnoticed, such as being overlooked in a crowd, um, being followed in a store because of your skin color. These experiences demoralize people of color or BIPOC, as I like to say, because it, we will get into the fact that it's more than one person being affected by this. Um, and these microaggressions come from being objectified through stereotyping. So it's, easily, it's easy to be overlooked and minimized in the public's eyes, which makes us feel that much more dehumanizing. Right? The fourth type is the fourth type of stress is the chronic contextualized stress. Uh, this is what we think about when we say structural racism. So it's the unequal distribution of resources. It's the limits that we face when it comes to employment, um, along with the limits of opportunities that we have. Um, and these are the stressors that tend to keep people so immersed in the process of day-to-day -day survival mode. The fifth is collective experiences. This is distinguished, meaning it's very separate from vicarious trauma um, and vicarious experiences in that it doesn't involve hearing or witnessing an act of racism. This is more so the experiences of racism at the collective level involving perceptions of themselves. This includes the lack of political representation, uh, stereotypical portrayals in the media, and it can be looked at as an internalization of racism. I want everyone to hold on to that term because that term is going to be really important as we go through these questions. Um, but the lack of representation is a big part of the stress that comes with it. Um, the last stressor is called transgenerational transmission. Um, this I think we do get into a little bit deeper as well. So this is aspects of oppression related to historical events and how they are transmitted through generations. The history of a racial group affects the relationship between that particular group and the rest of society. Um, so when you think about it, when we are facing racial trauma, not only are we dealing with trauma that the world is dealing with, right? Nomadic color, creed, culture, ethnicity. We are then also expected to deal with everything else that comes with color of our skin. So, you have, so you've now added an additional layer of trauma to the everyday stressors of life that everyone else goes through. So um, those were really good stressors and going through that and really looking at how complex of an issue this is. Um, so when we, when we think about all these stressors and dynamics, we think about vicarious trauma, um, we think about microaggressions and transgenerational, all of those issues that you brought up, then who are the individuals who are impacted by racial trauma? Um, because, you know, coming into this conversation, I think a lot of people think, is it just people of color who experience racial trauma? Or when you talk about that vicarious piece, does it open it up more to other, you know, sort of race and ethnicities? 
So my answer to who is affected is a very unpopular one because I, my answer to that is everyone. Um, okay. And the reason I say everyone is because, once again, the word layers. There are layers to it, right? Um, there are certain groups of people that are affected much, much more. And we can get into details as to why that is. But yes, for what you're saying, there are other groups that are affected, right? When we talk about um, racial trauma in the aspect of like just genocides that have happened, um, communisms that have happened, right? When you go back to studies that have been done on World War II for the Japanese Americans, it comes mm -hmm. with that as well. So there are a lot of different, for the Latin, Latinx community, it's a lot to deal with like the immigrations that they face and the racial, racial trauma through that. Um, so there are different layers to it. Um, on top of it being different layers, it's kind of the sense that, well, let's say it this way. It's why we came up with the term BIPOC, right? Which means Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Um, people of color can refer to a variety. It can refer to Hispanics who do not identify themselves as Black Hispanics. They just identify themselves as a person of color. So we purposely framed it in that sense to recognize now that, hey, when we talk about racism and we talk about racial trauma, there are a lot of people being affected by this. So one of the things I was going to say is that racial trauma tends to carry with it uh, physiological and psychological effects. So several racial traumas affect us, such as, like I said, the hypervigilance to threat, flashbacks, nightmares, and all of that. Um, and although that racial trauma exhibits these similarities, it's very different from PTSD in the fact that we are experiencing it ongoing. So it's an ongoing layer of it. Um, so when we talk about who is affected, what we're looking at is that frequency piece. So um, I'm not sure if anyone out there has seen this. It's a YouTube video that talks about microaggressions, and it kind of relates it to a mosquito bite. Yes, I I've seen that. I think it was the perfect way to talk about it because that's exactly what it is. There are some people that are being bit by mosquitoes a lot more often. So if you're bit here and there, it doesn't bother you as much. You know what I mean? You, you hit mm -hmm. it off. Um, but when you are a specific group, you are constantly being bitten. So now you're extra frustrated. You're extra angry. It becomes that much more exhausting. So even though there are um, Latinx being actually affected by this, Indigenous people being affected by this, um, Asian Americans, actually, I had a conversation with one of my friends, and she was going in detail of how they are affected as well. Um, and what we've come to the conclusion of realizing is anyone that is not white is affected by this. You just get affected a lot more the further you are away from what is considered the status quo. Mm -hmm. right? So what is considered normal based on how white Europeans have constructed that idea of normal. So when you look a little closer to being white, you don't get affected as much. Um, when you act a little closer to being what is considered European white, you don't get it as much, right? So that's why black people tend to have it a lot harder because we are a lot further from that in terms of looks, in terms of our ways, everything underneath that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense, right? Because the construct was developed for uh, one group of individuals to have privilege and power and access and yep. for another group of individuals to not, right? And to be right. uh, sort of marginalized um, and to be oppressed. So it makes sense if you're looking at 
you know, racism on a spectrum of color, um, that the darker you are, the more oppressed you will likely be in our current day society. Okay. So as we, you know, talk through, we kind of have a sense of how impactful racial trauma can be on all communities, um, not just communities of color. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, the mental health impact and the physical impact of racial trauma on individuals. Right. So with the mental health piece, and actually I probably should have noted this before because I know that a lot of people don't like to hear it, but I think it's necessary in terms of um, non-Black uh, individuals being affected by this and how they are affected by it. They're affected by it in the sense of, if you were to look at mental health, and I happen to be a white clinician, I'm now seeing an influx because of what's happening in the climate of our world right now. I'm seeing an influx in my clients. I'm seeing an increase in the traumas that my clients are experiencing. So I am not directly affected by it, but I'm affected by it through the indirect relationship I have with my clients. The same thing happens with doctors that are not black or not BIPOC. The same thing happens with speakers and politicians who are doing their own thing and realizing that there's now an influx of other things that is weighing down on them. That's going to get into why it's really important for them to take notes. So we'll get to that in the end a little bit. Um, in terms of the physical aspect of things, um, I think that uh, Dr. Nadia Burke, uh, I think it's Nadia Burke-Harris, I'm not sure, but she's a Surgeon General in California. She speaks a lot about the effects that the ACEs, right, so the adverse, the adverse um, childhood, childhood experiences, right, the, the adverse childhood experiences and how it affects uh, children and their health later on. She has made a direct relation to that. If you look at it from that lens, there is no reason why it's not clearly shown that as children or people of color or BIPOC people continue to go through these things, their health is affected in a detrimental way. Like, I know that one thing I printed out was kind of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Let's, let's keep it very basic. With the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it's clear that if the physiological piece and the safety is not there, you can't really attain anything else. So mm -hmm. if we are looking to the point of having people that do not feel safe where they are, do not feel safe in the community that they are in, that is directly affecting their health. That is affecting how they show up in every single way. Um, the ACEs, so the Adverse Childhood Experiences, literally tells you that. It says that if you do not have a childhood where the trauma is addressed, it leads to social, emotional, and cognitive impairments. It leads to adoption of health risk behaviors. It leads, that then leads to disease disability and social problems. And all of this in total leads to early death. So it's okay. a continuum. Um, and these things are absolutely affecting. If you wanna go backwards and kind of keep it with layman terms, right? And look at the fact that when you're going through a trauma, we'll use any trauma at this point. When you are affected by something, you, your heart starts to beat, right? So now you're having heart palpitations. Um, you're feeling stuck, you're feeling lost. Uh, you're ending up in panic attacks you're getting increased migraines or headaches. Um, if you happen to be someone who tends to binge eat when they're stressed, you're now binge eating or doing the complete opposite. You're not eating enough. There are so many layers to how it affects you physiologically. Okay, so let me summarize a little bit of what you're saying. 
um, for the audience, as well as, you know, uh, inform the, those of you viewing with us, um, we're going to be taking questions from the audience now. So please uh, write your questions in the chat or comment box so that we can get some of your question asked. Um, as we come to the close of our um, session in the next 10 minutes. So pretty much what we talked about in, you know, the last few minutes is around the impact on mental health and physical health. And Unique did a great job talking about Maslow's um, hierarchy of needs and the fact that if your basic needs are not met, it's harder for you to move up that chain to get to that self-actualization um, point of the process and how when racial trauma is experienced by individuals, some oftentimes some of those basic needs issue because of systemic oppressions and racism are not met in some communities and that has an impact. Then it has an impact on your ACE score, which is the adverse childhood experiences and you know um, disadvantages and um, trauma that you experience, um, you know, sort of compounds your ability to function optimally in society and how that leads to mental health and physical health issues um, in individuals um, that, you know, are experiencing this level of racial trauma. So the impact is tremendous. Um, and as you said, you know, the impact is there for for everyone, but especially in communities of color, uh, you see that impact even more because of some of the systemic issues that communities of color are dealing with on a daily basis, whether it's the disparities that exist in our um, health system, whether it's the disparities that exist in educational system, whether it's the issue of unemployment. Um, I know during COVID, um, we've recently had to deal with the issue of essential workers. Um, and who are the individuals who fall into those categories. Mm -hmm. um, and usually, uh, especially in certain positions, it's people of color. And yeah. so the exposure and risk to them um, in the community. And so how that can compound mental health issues yeah. and physical health issues uh, for communities of color. Um, so why don't we try it again? If you have a question, please put it in the chat box so that you know Unique can have an opportunity. I forgot to mention in the beginning, but I think many of you uh, are aware, this is a two-part series. This is a complex issue. Um, yeah. We haven't even scratched the surface yet of all no. the questions uh, that we can discuss today. So I know that um, we won't get to everything today, but we do have a part two that will be coming up uh, in July on the 2nd. So we'll make sure that we capture as much information um, as we can in that particular um, in that uh, final session. But Unique, while we're waiting for questions to come in, um, what are some of the resonating effects on communities? So we've talked about the impact on individuals, but what are you seeing or does research uh, indicate about the impact of communities of individuals? Right, so in terms of that, um, and I'm actually going to link both the question you just asked about the health to that, because I think that it's important to note that a lot of people are not being treated for this for, because of lack of awareness. So most of the time we're not treated because it isn't always asked, right? When you go to a doctor and when you go to mental health uh, clinicians, it's not always asked about the race and how that plays a part, whether it's the person's uncomfortable asking it or not, but that's really important to note. The approach leaves, you know, these approaches leaves clinicians and doctors kind of ill-equipped to have conversations. So that's kind of another reason why I think that it's really important for us to have these conversations and be aware of it. But with the effects of communities, that gets to a deeper level of um, our communities are policed differently, number one. Right? Let's just put um, the policing in our neighborhoods are done yep. differently. 
So that's an absolutely resonating effect on communities. Uh, not only is policing done differently, um, I know a holistic um, coach that I was speaking to earlier today brought up the fact that the legacy of being unemployed or underemployed then affects the family dynamics in so many ways, right? We have lack of uh -huh. resources. Um, and then with the lack of resources, that then leads to extra stress that the individual has to take on. Um, it leads to the mothers having to take on so much more responsibilities. And then that leads to emotional, leads to a lack, not a lack, um, limited emotional availability for the children who then need something. So it's this perpetuating cycle of things um, where we are seeing on multiple levels that our communities are not receiving the care that they need. They're not receiving the resources that they need. They're not being um, given the opportunities that they need. And all of these things set us back completely. So a lot of times people say, well, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And I always respond to that with, okay, you can't expect somebody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps if they have no boots. That doesn't make sense. So it's a complete separation of what has been given to one group of people compared to what has been given to another. So that second group now has to work extra hard just to get to a point of saying, okay, I can breathe now and I can finally see the resources that the other side was given since birth. Mm -hmm. So um, we have uh, two questions that have come in, which is kind of perfect timing because we'll uh, do these two questions and then we'll start wrapping up this particular session. So one of the questions is around um, transgenerational trauma um, and the impact that that creates. So how do folks sort of reverse the impact of that transgenerational uh, trauma for individuals who, you know, because the issue of slavery and oppression is centuries, right, old. And so it is passing from one generation to the other. Uh, there's periods of time where people may feel that things have gotten better, but then we see these spikes like we're seeing right now where the racial injustices are just very evident and um, sort of overt and in your face. So how does families, you know, deal with these issues when it's a generational issue? So I'm going to, number one, point that person for a specific resource of um, post-traumatic state syndrome, which is by Dr. Joy Leary. Uh, <laughs> yes, but I wanted to give that person a resource of uh, looking into post-traumatic state syndrome by Dr. Yep. Joy uh, Leary. Um, and it talks a lot about the baseline of that. Um, but in looking at that, what it is, is exposure. I think exposure is a big piece of this and that village mentality we tend to have. You can't achieve what you don't know, right? Okay. You don't know what you don't know. So in exposing yourself to different areas and breaking cycles of um, traditions that have come before you, right? Which is, okay, how can I break this uh, not having generational wealth. Let me research and look into how to do that. As much as it sucks to say it really takes work because it's a lot of research that needs to get done because we weren't handed these things before. We weren't yeah. taught these things in school before like other people were. So we now have to do our research. But that's where the village mentality can come in, which is I know this, so I'm going to pass it on to this person so that they can educate their circle and then pass it on to someone else. Okay, so the last question I'm going to ask you, um, and it's a good question. I think it's been coming up a lot um, in social media and conversations people are having. You know, how is, and this is a parent question, 
how do I be an anti-racist parent and not an inclusion parent? Um, is there any advice that you can offer around that piece? So the news is we actually have a lot of resources that we're offering at the end of this with um, books that can be read um, to in literally bring your child into the fold age appropriately as to what they need to know about race. Um, I would say everything regarding parenting has to be age appropriate. That's number one. But shielding them from it is not a good thing either. That then goes into the line of people developing the mentality that saying, I don't see color is a good thing, right? Um, and turning that blind eye. And that's actually the complete opposite, which is not a good thing at all. Because then if you say you don't see color, what you're saying is you don't see me. Mm -hmm. You don't see the parts of me that make up my personality, my culture, my ethnicity, the things that I love. Um, it is the exact same thing. So in teaching your children to actually accept and enjoy diversity and dive into you know, all the different things that comes with everyone in the world, that alone starts off the conversation. Excellent. So thank you so much, Unique. We're at the last um, few seconds of our broadcast. Um, I look forward to our next session on July 2nd. Um, for our audience, if you had questions today we weren't able to get to, don't worry about it. We will make sure we address them in our part two. Um, if you think of questions between now and our second session, uh, you can always um, email communications at the village um, with your questions um, and we'll make sure we address them, whether it's in part two or we just reply immediately with a response. As Unique mentioned, there's gonna be a ton of resources we're making available um, to our audience members as well so that you can you know, get additional resources on parenting and talking to kids about issues of race, how to deal with racial trauma, how to help your your children or yourself um, if you're experiencing symptoms related to um, racial trauma. So definitely a lot of resources. Uh, these resources will be made available on our website. Um, Lunch Break has its own landing page that will give you resources and episodes um, from previous broadcasts. Um, so make sure you check that out so you can get the resources that you need. Um, for yourself and for your family. Um, also, please visit the village on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, um, and our webpage uh, for additional information. We offer a lot of services and supports to the community. We are here to support our community. Um, these are very difficult times. These are times that are wearing on people's mental health. Um, you know, racism is a public health issue, and we're seeing the impact of that in communities of color. And we want folks to know that we're here to support you. Um, if you are uh, from a non-community of color, if you're a white individual and you're experiencing some vicarious trauma as a result of what you're seeing and the broadcast and the conversations, and you need support, we are here for you as well. Um, the reality is that as a community, we have to get through this, we have to heal from this, and we have to do better. Um, but everyone deserves to have the help and support that they need. So know that we're here for you and we're here to support you. So until July 2nd, which is our next broadcast, we thank you so much for joining us. Um, and until then, be well. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.